Hi. I just wanted to take a moment to thank those who support this podcast. Our patrons. Your support has really taken some of the financial burden off the shoulders of the staff. Thank you. Greatly appreciate it. We all do. I promise. We wanted to take this time, being it's our third episode, to pay extra special attention to all of our patrons. If you would like to support the podcast through Patreon, feel free to head over there at patreon.com forward slash the gray rooms. It is much appreciated. And we would like to try to get to our goal as fast as possible. So thanks again to all of you for your support. Also, one last thing. If you like what you hear, please go to iTunes or anywhere you listen to your podcasts and leave a five-star review. We love to see them and we love to read what you have to say. Our lovely patrons are Arthur Unk, Amy Nikolai, Kathleen Clyde, Kelly Bear, Austin Furman, Mary Wynn, Brooks Bigley, Jacqueline Coles, Charlotte Norup, Alexei Gladilovich, Jim Powell, Scott Savino, Sergio Saucedo, Victoria Wan, Justin Thulu, Scotty, Maria Herrera, John Dillavu, Sarah Ruth Thomas, John, Kelly Fenner, John Grills, Stephen, and Sirenicide. Thank you again for what you do. Let's begin. Our stories may contain graphic or sensitive content that may be disturbing to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. You wake on a hard, cold floor. So cold, it burns your skin. The air smells of sulfur and ash. Your head throbs. Your mouth is dry. You have no idea how you got here. Panic sets in. Fear becomes terror. What have you done? What brought you to this place? It doesn't matter, because now you belong to the Grey Rooms. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> 
that little girl. That, that poor little girl. How? Why? I should have been angry. Angry at the voice and the way the rooms kept killing me. Each time now, I remembered the last breath I had drawn. Once as a soldier, and most recently as a teddy bear. My deaths were cruel and visceral. I couldn't forget the pain that this place was inflicting upon me. But that door wasn't just my suffering. It was that of my human. No, that wasn't my little girl. But it, it felt so real. And, and those parents... Those parents... I had returned to the familiar room, the two doors. I was on the floor, and there was a light flickering above me. The nameless voice was there, and the table that he had mentioned was there. There was a pink box with a white ribbon on the table. Beside it were two keys. I had tried to rebel earlier and not choose a door. The voice warned me that it would choose one for me, and it, it did. I know I'm not the pitiful creature whose death I experienced, but its thoughts and feelings still haunt me. I don't want your damn present. Not everything is out to get you in the Grey Rooms, Raymond. Go on. Open it. Or what? You'll kill me? If it pleases me. I decided to humor the voice. What other ch choice did I have? Fighting back didn't seem to work out too well. I scrambled up to my feet and walked over to the box. I hesitated for a few seconds before lifting the top off the box. Inside was the teddy bear. Jesus! What the hell is the matter with you? You're sick! Children take comfort in these bears all the time, Raymond. You look stressed. I was only trying to help. Oh, right. Just like you did with the rat. I'm sentimental. I stared at the teddy bear for a long moment and actually removed it from the box and held it against my body. It felt warm. I never thought of stuffed animals as having personalities or even being capable of revenge. Was this the room's doing or... Were they all like this? I let out a sigh and sat back down onto the floor with the bear. <sighs> Look, 
You know my name. Can't you just tell me who you are and why you're doing this to me? Please. You couldn't pronounce my name if you tried. And you're here to die, Raymond. Again and again and again. Until you pick the right door. And, and then I go home? And, and then I go home? Choose a door, Raymond. Uh, please stop this. I don't want to die anymore. Please, God. Please, whatever you are, please just stop making me die. Choose a door. What are you? Are you refusing to choose a door again? No. No. No, I... My best chance was to pick my own door. Obviously, this thing would only choose the worst out of the two for me. Clearly, he knew what fate each would grant me. I forced myself up. My legs were so damn shaky. I kept looking down at the bear for comfort and I hated who, who did I hate? I needed a name. I needed something tangible. Something, Bob. Oh, did you name your bear? That sweet Raymond. Now tell your little friend goodbye and choose a door. No. I'm calling you, Bob. And I'm working on it. Bob. That's a very disappointing name. I stared at the doors. There was a wooden, sun-bleached door whose white paint looked faded. There was also a plain gray metal door. I started to hear that familiar woman's voice as I approached it. My skin skin crawled and I immediately decided I wasn't going to pick it. I grabbed the key and placed it into the wooden door's keyhole. Screw you, Bob. I'm going home. You're not killing me today.
With love, time will pass. With time, love will pass. Alicia read those words before tossing the greeting card carelessly onto the kitchen counter, alongside the sale flyers and other shit in the mail she didn't care to entertain. If her mother put half the effort into teaching her how to tell an asshole from a keeper as she did in the Hallmark aisle, there wouldn't be a need for sappy breakup cards. Austin had left her for good last week. His car was packed with boxes of clothes, including the shirt with his scent that she liked to sleep in. And he took the ring. After three years of dating and nine months of engagement, she was kicked to the curb like the trash from yesterday's lunch. She opened a bottle of Cabernet and collapsed on her leather chair. Samson, her Maine Coon, circled the chair. He sprung to her lap and curled into a ball. He was the last man left in her life. He rubbed his head against her chin and purred to show his affection for his human. She thought that every stereotype of the crazy Catwoman started with a broken engagement, and her name could be added to the bottom of the list. She sipped from her glass of wine and gazed at the green belt that stretched across her balcony window. The view was soothing, especially in the evening with the sunset. She never noticed it when Austin lived there. She was too engaged to notice the area. But after he left, she turned the chair around so that it faced out the window. There she sat in the evenings after work, just her, her Cabernet, and Samson. She had a call. She jumped from her chair, pissing off a slumbering Samson, and dashed to her phone vibrating on the kitchen counter. Whenever it rang, she anticipated that it was Austin on the other line, wanting to reconcile and return to their apartment. He would say his apologies and she would do the same, both meeting somewhere in the middle, the way a couple's therapist would suggest. She would have given anything at that moment for that to happen. But instead, the number on the screen wasn't his, and her fantasy of their future would be shelved until the next time. Hey, are you busy? Came her sister's voice over the line. London was two years younger than Alicia, three years into a marriage, and one year into motherhood, which, in Alicia's books, qualified her as the older and wiser sister. No, not really. What's going on? Mom said she tried calling, and you didn't answer so she thought you were probably avoiding her and wanted me to try calling to see if you'd answer me. Christ, she keeps calling and asking me if I'm okay. Like as if I'm going to jump off a bridge or something. So, you have a plan. London poked. I'm fine, London, seriously. I'm going to get Greg to watch the baby tomorrow so you and I can go have some retail therapy. I don't need your sympathy, but if you're buying the first round of margaritas, I'll take you up on it. He owes me. I let him and his friends have one of those fantasy football draft parties last week. One asshole got drunk and puked on my carpet, so I'm making him suffer for a couple of weeks. Ew. Right? The smell of beer and pepperoni, ugh, lingers. 
From the other side of the phone, London's daughter cried. Crap, the baby's crying. I'll call you back. A smile slipped past Alicia's lips as she ended the call and turned back to the window. The summer sun burnt the horizon a warm shade of Merlot. She reached for her bottle of anxiety meds and swallowed one down. <sighs> that night, as she lay in bed, consciousness finally left, and intermittent slumber came. antique store was quaint. Its items had a rural feel that brought that southern comfort feeling to a home. Cans strung from wrenches and passed off as redneck wind chimes. It had upcycled doors fashioned into headboards, pallets and license plates made into wall art, and rusty milk cans with no purpose stacked on shelves. Now that Austin was gone, she wanted to decorate in a way that suited her more. Austin would never approve of vintage antiques. He said it made the home look too old folk. She imagined that someone could consider this junk, but to her, the flair made her feel right at home. Being raised in Louisiana, it brought back memories of the summers at her grandmother's property. In a far back corner, an object struck her as familiar. It was buried under several throws in a vintage Raggedy Ann doll. It was an oak rocking chair, much like the one that her grandmother owned on her back porch. Being so young, her feet never touched the ground and she would throw her weight into it to get the chair rocking. Often with so much force, the chair would scoot across the porch's wooden planks. Maybe it was more nostalgic than practical. She remembered how she felt as a little girl with pigtails listening to cicadas serenading her to sleep on her grandmother's lap. It was all the persuasion she needed to know that she wanted that chair. You're kidding me, London said in a tone more cynical than normal. I like it. Where are you going to put that? <laughs> Why don't you get 10 more cats while you're at it? <clears throat> Excuse me, ma'am, she uttered to the elderly woman behind the counter. How much for the rocking chair? The older woman adjusted her glasses and looked Alicia up and down before speaking. You like that chair, do you? Well, it would be a nice place to rock your young one to sleep. The old lady responded. She means your 11 cats. London whispered in Alicia's ear. It reminds me of my grandmother. <laughs> Except grandma had two kids and hated cats. Shut up, London. Uh, yes. How much? The old lady approached, cane in hand. I can let it go for a hundred. If you deliver it, you've got a deal. The next day, three heavy knocks on her door announced the delivery truck. 
She opened the door to find a middle-aged guy wearing jeans and a t-shirt standing at the door with a physically tired look across his face and Jacob written across the left chest of his shirt. Kirkland? He asked, half question, half statement. She nodded in the affirmative and opened the door wider. He kept his head down as he passed her the invoice and returned swiftly back to the truck to retrieve the chair. The back door rolled up and Jacob climbed inside, pushing the rocker to the edge of the tailgate. He lifted it off the truck and started toward her door. The chair had the same charm as the first time she saw it. The sunlight showed where the clear finish was rubbed off on pressure spots, none of which she had any plans to repair. He placed it in her bedroom. Taking a step back, he admired it before speaking. It's gotta be old. It's got some weight to it. That's kinda why I like it, she countered. Yeah, I don't make them like that anymore. He said as he backed out. All right, goodbye. Said his goodbye and closed the door behind him. She sat in the chair. The old wood creaked under her as she closed her eyes and rocked. An unfamiliar, guttural growl came from across the room. Opening her eyes, Samson's back was arched and hair stood on end at the opposite side of the room. His howl sharply turned to a hiss, then a cry as he darted from the room. Samson! Alicia shrieked. She sprung from the chair and chased him out into the living room where he took shelter behind the couch. Samson, what's wrong? He glared back at her with an occasional swish of the tail. Are you okay? Come here. She reached out for him, but he swatted at her. His claw made contact and sliced the back of her hand. Ouch! You little ass! He hissed again. What's wrong with you? She got up to tend to her wounds and left Samson to stay hunkered down in his fortress. After she cleaned and dressed the cut, she went back to bed. She fluffed her pillow once again and pulled the comforter tight across her shoulders as she drifted back off to slumber. The chair creaked as it began rocking again. Damn it, Samson. He must have made peace with the chair, but the sound of the creaking wood was not going to be something she was going to tolerate every night. Then, she remembered shutting the cat out before going back to bed. Her eyes shot open as she sat up and looked at the chair. Her eyes were out of focus, but she was certain of what she was seeing as her heart quickly ascended into her throat. She tried to gasp, but her lungs were disabled from the fright. As if a cold wind rushed through her body, she trembled and sat up in the center of her bed. A petite female figure, shrouded in a white gown, sat rocking in the chair. Alicia found the air to fill her lungs and gasped while the figure simultaneously vanished as if disturbed by Alicia's attention. Uncertain of what just happened, she retreated to her bathroom and splashed water on her face. With her head throbbing from the sudden illumination of her bathroom lights, she looked back at the rocking chair. 
It sat perfectly still and untouched in the corner of her bedroom. She tried to comfort herself. Get it together, Allie. It was a nightmare. Get over it and go back to sleep. But sleep didn't come that easily. The clock on her nightstand teased her with a minute-by-minute -minute reminder of the lingering night as it transformed into the early morning. Half the morning had passed when she was awoken by the sound of Samson's bell. She found herself curled up in a ball on her couch and covered with a fleece blanket. The memory of her migrating to the living room eluded her. Samson's low, guttural growl returned. Alicia leapt from the couch, hoping to catch the source of his discontent. She rushed to her bedroom where his distress call emanated from. There was Samson. His hair stood on his arched back, eyes fixed upon the rocking chair. What's wrong, little man? He let out a hiss and popped his claws as she leaned over to pick him up. His fangs sunk deep into her hand as his claws slashed most of the distance of her forearm. She sprang up and dropped her cat. Samson darted off to the recesses of the apartment. God damn it, you little bastard! She gave thought to chasing him, maybe even locking him in the bathroom for the day, but her fresh wounds were of more concern. She washed them under running water as she squeezed the blood to the surface of her hand. She was still thinking of her cat as her diluted serum of blood and water circled down the drain. What in the hell has gotten into him? He's never acted like this. She emerged from the bathroom, favoring her hand and a new distaste for her feline friend. The next night deviated very little from the first. The sound of the rocking chair, followed by the tossing of pillows across the room to scare off a curious cat. But after the second pillow flew across the room, a thought crossed Alicia's mind. She didn't hear Samson's bell. He would have fled from the pillow attack. It bothered her. Bothered her so much to the point that after mulling the thought for several minutes, she was now wide awake and turning on all the lights to search for Samson. His favorite resting spots were inspected. On a dining room chair, the back of the couch, his cat tree, her shoe cubbyhole. Each location turned up an empty result till she remembered one last place, under the bed. She lifted the bed skirt and gasped. She had found Samson. He was lifeless. His extremities were starting to harden. The love and affection, moments when he would wake her with playful head bumps and the light in his eyes were all gone. She felt guilty for the anger she had felt earlier. Knowing that her companion was gone compelled her to forgive his momentary rage and wish that she could turn back time. All she wanted was her fine-haired friend back. She swaddled the animal in her fleece blanket and sat rocking him in her new chair. Her sobs matched the creaking of the old wood. She remembered the day that she selected him from the other kittens at the shelter. He was six weeks old and was nothing more than a one-pound ball of fur. She lifted him high above her head and he playfully patted his paw on her nose. It was an instant connection. Now, eight years later, she saw him to the end. The chair continued to creak under her weight. Its tone was more eerie than soothing. She never gave much thought to that day or what she would do when the time came. She was at a loss of ideas. 
She never had a pet before Samson. Growing up, her father didn't allow animals in the house, and adopting him was the first thing she did after she moved out for college. She couldn't call her mom. It was a sign of weakness. And her sister was out of question because that would validate the cracking of what London thought was already her fragile mentality. Austin's number was still saved on her phone, and she was about to break the promise she made to herself as he walked out the door. It rang. I just need to talk to someone for a minute. I'm kind of freaking out. Look, I wish I could help, but like I said, now's not a good time. I got if I could have called someone else, I would have. So don't flatter yourself and think this is me trying to get you back. <sighs> Samson... just died. Damn. What happened? I don't know. I just found him. Just now. The creaking of the chair echoed from her bedroom. As she turned, she saw its shadow cast from her bedroom to the hall, rocking in concert with the noise. Fright mixed with curiosity as she inched toward the open bedroom door. What are you gonna do with him? The creaking continued. Hello? I've gotta go. Gathering her determination to look around the corner, her knuckles went white as she clutched the phone to her chest. Her heartbeat resonated in her ears as her breathing became shallow and fast. She felt as though her heart had risen into her throat and the skin around her neck and shoulders crimped as she prepared herself to see something that she did not ever wish to encounter. The creaking continued to come from the bedroom. She inhaled deeply and held her breath. Hoping to catch whatever she may encounter off guard, she darted around the corner to see a perfectly still rocking chair. She exhaled in relief. Gravel flew as her car pulled into the antique shop parking lot. Alicia stormed through the slamming screen door to find the old woman with her back turned to her, dusting the face of an antique porcelain doll. She spoke without turning. I knew it was a matter of time before you came back. There's no refunds. I want to know what's up with the chair. You obviously know something. The old woman turned with a sorrowful look to her. There was no hiding that she knew Alicia was disturbed. The cards were now on the table, and Alicia was the house. What did you sell me? The old woman shook her head and gently laid the porcelain doll down as if it were a real child. The words were coming together in her head, but not fast enough for Alicia, who was growing impatient. Then, the old woman took a breath before continuing. Gertie was my sister. She was four years older than I. When Daddy left us, she was my comfort every night. She would sing me to sleep and walk with me to school each morning. I loved her so much. 
we were as close as sisters could be. But when little girls grow up, they meet their Prince Charming, and sometimes they choose to follow him rather than staying home. John David Wilson swept Gertie's heart away. She would tell me about how she would get lost in his eyes as he danced her across the floor during the military balls. But when John was called off to war, the last thing he did before leaving her was put an engagement ring on her finger and promised her that they would get married just as soon as he returned home. Well, she had saved her money all summer from working as a nanny for the Sumter family and went out and bought material for the wedding gown of her dreams. She sat in that rocking chair and sewed every night until her fingers bled. When Gertie heard the news about John, she didn't take it well. John was killed in the war when the Japanese bombed his ship. Gertie was inconsolable. She wouldn't eat. She wouldn't leave the house. She just pulled away from the family and wept as she rocked in her chair. The old woman sighed, then paused to collect her thoughts before continuing. I knew that we shouldn't have left her alone, but Mama insisted we give her her space. I remember closing the door to her room before retiring to mine. That night, our house caught fire. We all escaped. All except Gertie. They found her body still in her room wearing her wedding gown and sitting in her chair. I know you've seen her. She must see something in you. Something that is drawing her to you. Alicia was torn. Half of her emotions pitied the widow, while the rest remained angry at the woman for selling her the cursed object. Alicia dashed from the store, leaving the screen door to slam closed as an exclamation of her rapid departure. Please, be careful, young lady, yelled the old woman after Alicia. Please, don't get hurt. When Alicia reached her apartment, she had some doubt to the wildness of the old woman's tale. She examined the chair more closely. It was old. The oak had beautiful patterns in the wood, and some areas had lost the luster of the finish in pressure areas. She touched the arm, and the chair rocked forward. It creaked. She did it again, the creak having been engraved into her memory. There was no mistake that the sound of wood bending was the sound she had heard the night before. She looked down at where the fingers would rest on the arm. The finish was rubbed away while the wood was a little darker in spots. She leaned closer to examine the piece like a forensic scientist. The distal part of the arm was where one would rest their hand while rocking in the chair, and her findings confirmed just what the old woman had said. Small brown circles made up the darker area of the wood small brown circles that resembled blood drops. Without remorse for damage, Alicia dragged the chair out the door, across the parking lot, and to the dumpster. The wood scuffed along the concrete, scratching the rocker beams. She reached the chair's destination and pushed it up against the metal bin. She gave the chair a final look before a sneer of relief moved over her lips. She sighed as she basked in the reassurance that the horror, the panic, the intimidation from the phantom visitor would no longer permeate her cerebration. That night, she swallowed two anxiety pills with her last few drops of wine. 
She breathed easily as she looked at the empty corner of her room and turned out the light. Her mind was at peace. Calmness flowed through her veins. As her head hit the pillow, her consciousness faded away. The morning sun spread through the window to greet her the next morning. Through the breakup, through the nightmares, she couldn't remember the last time she had such a sound night of rest. No restless animals, no creaking. She stretched under the cover sheet and then sat up to a vision that she hoped was only the early morning rays deceiving her eyes. There, in the corner of the room, sat the rocking chair. A series of questions raced through her mind. How could this happen? I, I know I didn't dream this, she whispered in disbelief. She reached out and touched the chair, trying her hardest to wrap her brain around the matter. The lacquered wood was chilled from her apartment's air conditioning. This can't go on like this. I can't go on like this. Alicia threw open all the drawers to her kitchen. Plates, utensils, and miscellaneous tools slid around as she jostled the contents aside, looking for the one item that she could use to destroy the chair. She reached to the back of the drawer and found just the thing. The chair scuffed behind her across the parking lot to the dumpster, the chair in one hand and a hammer in the other. She braced it against the metal bin and raised the hammer high above her head. Rot in hell! She said out loud as she drove the hammer down into the chair repeatedly. Small shards of wood rocketed upwards like organic missiles. She continued to pummel the piece of furniture, alternating between the hammer's face and claw. She didn't stop until the antique piece of furniture lay in countless pieces of scrap before her. She took several deep breaths. A few were filled with exhaustion, the others with fulfillment. That night, she took three anxiety pills as she fell asleep above the covers with her new favorite tool, the hammer, laying close by her side. Consciousness escaped her. Sleep overtook her. 2.36 a.m. The sound of creaking wood diffused across the room. Her eyes shot open as she felt her blood vessels constrict. She gasped at the awful sound. She slammed her hand over the light switch to confirm just what she feared. The chair was back, reassembled and rocking by itself in the corner of her room. Panic rushed through her as she screamed. No! No! She was caught in a bad dream, one where waking would not rescue her. She screamed at the cursed item. Why can't you leave me alone? Fucking leave me alone! The chair froze, motionless. Before it had the chance to rock again, she opened her balcony door and strained as she lifted the rocker over the side rail, releasing it to fall 20 plus feet to the ground below. Knowing that would not halt the phantasm, she raided her storage closet for more defense. The chair violently scraped the concrete on the way to the dumpster. Relentlessly, she slammed the rocker against it, dousing the chair with lighter fluid. Pulling a lighter from her pocket, she flicked it open and slid her finger over the flint wheel. The flame came alive. Alicia dropped the lighter on the seat and watched as the rocker was set ablaze. Flames rushed from the curved beams to the upper headrest. The wood released eerie creaks and pops as the flames lapped at the wood. Tears filled with hope stained her cheeks. As she celebrated, she felt a hand rest on her shoulder. 
Surprised by the unannounced visitor, she spun around to come face to face with the old woman dressed in the burnt wedding gown that she had encountered in her room. Her facial features were old and contorted with burnt skin. She gave a sneer that displayed poorly maintained teeth as she clutched and stroked something in her bony arms. Alicia focused on the object. It was a small animal, alive, and it found comfort in the old woman's grasp. It lifted its head and looked at Alicia. It was Samson. It wasn't the same companion as she had known. His eyes warped to narrow slits, and his hair stood on his back as the animal bellowed a guttural sound of resentment, of displeasure with seeing his former owner again. Confused as well as frightened by his reaction, Alicia retracted, taking a step backwards in retreat. The hellacious feline arched his back in the old woman's arms and released a final howl before launching towards Alicia. His claws jutted out against her face as he sliced away at her flesh. Alicia fell backwards and landed in the flaming rocking chair, her body adding to the growing inferno. Her face remained shredded while her body burnt. She convulsed in the physical suffering until the moment came when consciousness left and darkness welcomed her. chair asked a young woman with a hint of gaiety in her voice London looked up as she finished folding the last of her sister's clothes whatever sold at the estate sale would help with Alicia's funeral expenses whatever didn't would go to charity it reminds me of one my grandparents had when I was a little girl London sighed and straightened the stack of shirts yeah they don't make them like that anymore They don't make them like that anymore. Written by Renfield Rasputin. You can follow Renfield on Twitter at Renfield Rasputy without the N. Alicia was voiced by Sarah Ruth Thomas. You can follow her on Twitter at Sarah Ruth Voice. Sarah with an H. London was voiced by Christina Wilson. You can follow her on Twitter at Riding That Wave. Austin, the ex-boyfriend, was voiced by Graham Rowett. You can follow Graham on Twitter at Graham NY for New York. The shopkeeper was voiced by Margaret Ashley. Jacob, the delivery man, was voiced by yours truly, Jason Wilson. You can follow me on Twitter at Audio Torment. And the young woman at the estate sale was voiced by none other than S.H. Cooper. You can follow S.H. Cooper on Twitter at Miss Pepinacious. I'm pretty sure I just tortured that. Audio production and sound design was by me, Jason Wilson. Additional sound design and composition by J.M. Scherf. You can follow J.M. Scherf at J.M. Scherf Music. Also, feel free to stop by his website, jmscherfmusic.com. The artwork was produced by Cassie Hertit. Once again, 
Thank you ever so much for listening to The Grey Rooms. We try to deliver five-star audio performances for you to enjoy. Feel free to stop in at facebook.com forward slash The Grey Rooms pod or follow us on Twitter at The Grey Rooms pod. You can find us on any podcast directory out there. iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, you name it, we are on it. Please subscribe. Also, leave a review and five stars would be nice. And if you're a writer, keep in mind, we are currently taking submissions for season two. So why don't you go ahead and drop one in on us? We would love to turn your story into an audible nightmare. Thanks again, and we'll see you in two weeks.